Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Uh, this is going to be a discussion about Mosiah chapter 3. We are continuing the uh, discussion or the sermon by, by King Benjamin. Uh, so let's get into this one. This is a this chapter is actually a direct quote from an angel that testifies of Christ to Benjamin and tells him what he needs to say in his talk. And so that's what this is about. Verse one. And again, my brethren, I would call your attention. Now it's interesting that he says, "Call your attention." Uh, we think that maybe at this point in his talk, the children are becoming restless, and all the people can hear is the rustling of people moving about. So Benjamin calls their attention to listen to what he is saying. He is about to emphasize an important part of his talk. Of course, that's just speculative, isn't it? I don't know that that happened. I wasn't there. I can't remember if I was. Uh, verse 1, continuing, For I have somewhat more to speak unto you, for behold, I have things to tell you concerning that which is to come. And the things which I shall tell you are made known unto me by an angel of God. And he said unto me, Awake, and I awoke. Probably got woken up early in the morning before the talk was given. And behold, he stood before me. The angel is declaring the coming of the Savior into the world. And he said unto me, Awake and hear the words which I shall tell thee. For behold, I am come to declare unto you the glad tidings of great joy. Remember that we're still 120 or so years away before Jesus comes. For the Lord hath heard thy prayers, and hath judged of thy righteousness, and hath sent me to declare unto thee that thou mayest rejoice. Your good works, in other words, have unlocked the heavens to you, and that thou mayest declare unto thy people that they may also be filled with joy. Even sinners can have joy. Uh, verse 5, For behold, the time cometh, and is not far distant, that with power the Lord omnipotent, unless God had power over all things, and was able to by his, by his power to control all things, and thereby deliver his creatures who put their trust in him from the power of all beings that might seek their destruction, whether in heaven or on earth or in hell, men could not be saved. That was by Joseph Smith in the Lectures on Faith. Who reigneth, who was, and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men, and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay, and shall go forth amongst men, working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the, men, the lame to walk, the blind to, to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. These verses explain the ministry of Jesus. Mosiah chapter 3 is a catalog of the earthly ministry of Jesus, capped by the eternal saving mission he accomplishes during that mission. With the announcement of good tidings of great joy to Mary, he received information she did not know, or she received information she did not know. Did, it, did this happen to Benjamin? Not entirely. There are some details of Jesus' ministry that appear in the Book of Mormon for the first time with Benjamin's speech. However, much of the substantive content of this revelation was already known and available at least through the small plates of Nephi. The differences in the material indicate that Benjamin received a vision of Jesus' ministry and that he is reporting his own experience rather than citing scripture from the small and probably large plates of Nephi. Even where there is thematic overlap, Benjamin is giving the information in a fresh way. Certainly, the prophetic vision Benjamin received would be more would be most prominent in his recollection, even though he is certain to have read similar experiences from earlier prophets. And that was a quote by Brant Gardner. Verse 6, And he shall cast out devils or the evil spirits which dwell in the hearts of the children of men. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. 
For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. He could bleed at every poor because his mother was Mary and overcome it because his father was God. So we don't, we can't comprehend the suffering that Jesus went through. It's just not possible for us to even comprehend. Uh, Christ's suffering drew blood from every pore of his body. This may seem impossible to us, but it is a described medical condition. Although this is a very rare phenomenon, bloody sweat, um, I'm not going to describe or say the name because I can't pronounce it, may occur in highly emotional states or in persons with bleeding disorders. As a result of hemorrhage into the sweat glands, the skin becomes fragile and tender. That was from the Journal of American Medical Association. James E. Talmadge said, Christ's agony in the garden is unfathomable by the finite mind, both as to intensity and cause. He struggled and groaned under a burden such as no other being who has lived on earth might even conceive as possible. It was not physical pain nor mental anguish alone that caused him to suffer such torture as to produce an extrusion of blood from every pore, but a spiritual agony of soul such as only God was capable of experiencing. No other man, however great his powers of physical or mental endurance, could have suffered so, for his human organism would have succumbed and would have produced unconsciousness and welcome oblivion. In that hour of anguish, Christ met and overcame all the horrors that Satan, the prince of this world, could inflict. In some manner, actual and terribly real, though, no, though to man incomprehensible, the Savior took upon himself the burden of the sins of mankind from Adam to the end of the world, and I might parenthetically say not just our planet, but all of God's creations, Modern revelation assists us to a partial understanding of the awful experience. Um, in March of 1830, the glorified Lord Jesus thus spake, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father. And I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Luke, the only gospel writer who mentions sweat and blood in connection with our Lord's agony in Gethsemane, states that his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Many critical expositors deny that there was an actual extrusion of blood on the grounds that the evangelist does not positively affirm it, and that the three apostles, who were the only human witnesses, could not have distinguished blood from sweat falling in drops as they watched from a distance in the night, even if the moon, which it, as at the Passover season was full, had been unobscured. Modern scripture re removes all doubt. Um, so that, as we know in Doctrine and Covenants section 19, which I just read, Elder McConkie said this sacrifice took place in Gethsemane when he sweat great gouts of blood from every pore. And it also took place as he hung on the cruel cross of Calvary during the last three hours of that agonizing ordeal. While darkness overspread the land, all the pains and suffering of Gethsemane returned. Remembering that Gethsemane, the name Gethsemane means oil press. And so Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was pressed to the point that he actually bled uh, out of every pore. Verse 8, And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things from the beginning. And his mother shall be called Mary. And lo, he cometh unto his own, that salvation or exaltation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. And even after all this, they shall consider him a man. Elder Maxwell said, My friends and neighbors, brothers and sisters all, the most important question in human history is one which will not go away. It echoes down through the quarters of time, and Jesus asked them, What think ye of Christ? Sooner or later, this is the vital question for all, all mortals, including you, my friends, and a failure to answer this question is an answer. 
Carol B. Lee said, what think ye of Christ? Today we should ask ourselves the question in answer to what the master asked of those in his day. We ought to ask as we would say it today, what think we of Christ? And then make it a little more personal and ask what think I of Christ? Do I think of him as the redeemer of my soul? Do I think of him with no doubt in my mind as the one who appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith? Do I believe that he established this church upon the earth? Do I accept him as the savior of this world? Am I true to my covenants, which in the waters of baptism, if I understood, meant that I would stand as a witness of him at all times and in all things and in all places, wherefore I would be even until death? Continuing verse 9, and say that he hath the devil and shall scourge him and shall crucify him. The first and most graphic description of the Book of Mormon of Jesus' suffering was provided by this angel. Verse 10, and he shall rise the third day from the dead. And behold, he standeth to judge the world. President Joseph F. Smith said, I believe that our Savior no doubt possessed a foreknowledge of all the vicissitudes through which he would have, have to pass in the mortal tabernacle. If Christ knew beforehand, so did we. But in coming here, we forgot all that our agency might be in, be free indeed. So even though even Jesus, having known what he was going to go through, we probably knew a little bit about what we were going to go through in mortality, but have forgotten. Continuing verse 10, And behold, all these things are done that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. For behold, and also his blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by the transgression of Adam, who have died, not knowing the will of God concerning them, or who have, who have ignorantly sinned. But woe, woe unto him who knoweth that he rebelleth against God. As I mentioned before, there's a difference between uh, rebellion and weakness. Those that rebel, it will be harder for them to receive uh, forgiveness <clears throat> for salvation cometh to none such except to be through repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ when we know the law and act contrary to it that is a sin and the Lord God hath sent his holy prophets among all the children of men to declare these things to every kindred nation and tongue that thereby whosoever should believe that Christ should come the same might receive remission of their sins and rejoice with exceedingly great joy even as though he had already come among them Yet the Lord God saw that his people were a stiff-necked people, and he appointed unto them a law, even the law of Moses. And many signs and wonders and types and shadows showed he unto them concerning his coming. And also holy prophets spake unto them concerning his coming. And yet they hardened their hearts and understood not that the law of Moses availeth nothing except it were through the atonement of his blood. And even if it were possible that little children could sin, at least they understood that children under the age of accountability cannot sin. They could not be saved. But I say unto you, they are blessed. For behold, as in Adam, or by nature, they fall. Even so the blood of Christ atoneth for their sins. Salvation is in Christ alone. Even for children who cannot sin, they cannot be saved except through the atonement of Christ. 17. And moreover, I say unto you that there shall be no other name given, nor any other way, nor means, whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, only in and through the name of Christ the Lord Omnipotent. For behold, he judgeth, and his judgment is just, and the infant perisheth not, that he dieth in his infancy. But men drink damnation to their own souls, except they humble themselves and become as little children, and believe that salvation was, and is, and is to come, and, and through the atoning blood of Christ the Lord Omnipotent. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the spirit. Even though he, we are fallen, the Holy Ghost entices us to repent and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint. How do we become a saint? By humbling ourselves, become as little children, have faith in Christ, yield to the promptings of the Holy Ghost, put off the natural man, be submissive, meek, patient, full of love, 
willing to submit to the Lord's will all through the atonement of Christ. Continuing verse 19. Through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord hath, Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child does submit to his father. Elder McConkie says, If a man yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, then he is born again. His spiritual death ceases. He becomes alive to the things of the Spirit. He returns to the presence of God because he receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he is alive to the things of righteousness. He crucifies the old man of sin, becomes a new creature of the Holy Ghost, and walks in a newness of life. This is what is meant by being born again. Verse 20, And moreover I say unto you that the time shall come when the knowledge of a Savior shall spread throughout all nations, or throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The Book of Mormon is to be the instrument by which the prophecy is to be fulfilled. And behold, when that time cometh, none shall be found blameless before God except to be little children, only through repentance and faith on the name of the Lord Jesus, on the Lord God omnipotent. And even at this time, when thou shalt have taught thy people the things which the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, even then are they found no more blameless in the sight of God, only according to the words which I have spoken unto thee. In other words, we're, we're always accountable. And now I have spoken the words which the Lord God hath commanded me, and thus saith the Lord, they shall stand as a bright testimony against this people at the judgment day. That's why uh, Mormon is including them here. Wherefore, they shall be judged, every man according to his works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And if they be evil, they are consigned to an awful view of their own guilt and abominations, which doth cause them to shrink from the presence of the Lord into a state of misery and endless torment. This endless torment does not mean without end. It has more than it has more to do with the quality of the torment rather than the duration. Endless torment means God's torment. That's mentioned in uh, DNC chapter or section 19 where it talks about God is endless and that his name is endless. And so it's God's punishment. Continuing verse 25, from whence they can no more return. Therefore, they have drunk damnation to their own souls. Therefore, they have drunk out of the cup of the wrath of God, which justice could no more deny unto them then it could deny that Adam should fall because of his partaking of the forbidden fruit. Therefore, mercy could have claim on them no more forever. And their torment is as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flames are unquenchable, and whose smoke ascendeth up forever and ever. Thus hath the Lord commanded me. Amen. So he's talking here about sons of perdition at the end. Joseph Smith said, A man is his own tormentor and his own condemner. Hence the saying, they shall go into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The torment of disappointment in the mind of man is as exquisite as a lake burning with fire and brimstone. I say so is the torment of man. Now, we know that uh, we're not cast into a literal lake of fire and brimstone to suffer, yeah, but it's rather a, a state of mind that uh, the regret and the feelings of, of loss because of our lost opportunities. I bear testimony of the truth of these things and how wonderful King Benjamin's uh, speech is and that it applies to us today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.